0: You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. We're in a new series today. We're kicking off a new series for our Advent season and You know, if you don't know what the word Advent means, you're not alone. Uh, The word Advent is simply arrival, it means arrival or coming. And so, you know, what we celebrate this season in the Advent season is the birth of Jesus, his arrival. And, you know, a little bit of history for you today in the fourth, fifth century is when new Christians started to pray and fast as they were remembering the arrival of the Messiah, as they were remembering the birth of Jesus. And so it started to like be celebrated throughout eventually the month of December. And, and so today we celebrate the Advent season over a period of four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so the Advent season symbolizes the waiting for the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the Messiah. And so there's a couple different traditions um, that we have as part of the Advent season, one of the traditions is that we light a candle each Sunday leading up to either Christmas Eve or Christmas. And so as you see up here, we have five different candles. Um, The last candle that we're going to light is on Christmas Eve. That's called the Christ candle. And these other candles are uh, candles that symbolize truths about Jesus that I believe we would all want to have this Christmas season and and actually always in our lives. And so uh, it's things like hope, it's things like peace and joy and love, things that we would all want to have in our lives. And so the first candle that we're going to light today, it symbolizes the hope that Jesus brings, the hope that the Messiah brings. And so we're going to light that today. And um, as I light this candle, and hopefully it will light... There we go. Uh, as I light this candle, one of the things that um, we, uh, we say about this candle is it's, it's the hope candle. It's called the hope candle or it's called the prophet's candle. Why is it called the prophet's candle? Well, because the prophets were the ones, especially Isaiah, who were waiting with anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. And so, um, so as we... Uh, Focus on hope today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus, the Messiah, and specifically the hope that he brings to us. And you know, I believe that Jesus, he didn't just bring hope almost 2,000 years ago when he came into the world. He actually is bringing hope to us today where we are. And I believe that this Christmas season is a season that God wants to bring hope into your lives. Now, as I think about hope, you know, I can't help to think about it as something that's tied to expectations. And sometimes, you know, I get a little bit hope shy when it comes to expectations. And the the reason I get a little bit hope shy is because I kind of set my expectations sometimes maybe a little bit too high And I might set myself up for disappointment. And so maybe if I set my expectations too high, then they might become shattered, right? And so we've all experienced this type of of thing, I think, in our lives. We've had really high expectations of something. It didn't work out like we had thought. And then we're in this season of disappointment. And now for some of you that know me, um, you know that I enjoy tennis, and um, the past couple of years, I've been getting back into tennis. I used to play a lot when I was in high school and as a young adult. But the past couple of years, I've been getting back into tennis. And you know, I usually play it for fun. Uh, but there's this uh, partner that I play with that has been beating me for uh, throughout the summer. And so I was finally fed up, and I said, "You know what? I'm going to get other partners. I'm going to reach out to other players on this app called Play Your Court." and set up some other matches so that I get a little bit more, I get get better, and I can eventually beat this guy. So about a month ago, I ended up beating this guy. I came home. My two teenage daughters were at home. I wanted to share the good news with them. I was so, you know, I I was so excited. And when I shared it with them, you know what their response was? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I thought you were a lot better than him. (laughs) And so here I am, all proud of my accomplishment. I thought, hey, the old man's tail has a little bit in him. You know, you could be a little bit more excited. So my expectations were just shattered in that moment. And, uh, and, and so, you know, there are moments in our lives where we can get a little bit hope shy. But, but nevertheless, this time of year is a season full of so much hope. And I think there's so much about Christmas that is so hope-filled. For some of us, we have hopes that we set pretty high for the holidays. We might have been thinking about that one gift that we want for it throughout the year. We've been hoping for it. We hope that we get it on Christmas. Or maybe we just hope that we get some time off to be able to spend it with some loved ones. And, and sometimes we hope for some very important, meaningful things during the holiday season, and we have our expectations set high. For others of us, we set the bar low. You're, you're saying to yourself, I'm just, I just hope that I get my Christmas presents wrapped by December 25th. That's, that's all I'm concerned about. And when I, maybe, maybe you're, uh, saying to yourself, Hey, when I go to my parents or my in-laws, I just hope that it doesn't blow up into a big argument and we start breaking things, you know? Uh, so you might have your law, your bar set really low, but I'd like to suggest that God is a God of hope. And I believe that God is a God of even greater expectation. And so it was Dallas Willard that compared hope and worry and said this, that worry is the expectation that things are going to be bad, but hope is the expectation that things can actually be good. God is a good God. God is a good God who wants to do good in your lives. And there's good reason for us to experience hope not only at this time of year but all throughout the year and i do believe that jesus came into the world and that one of the things that he brought with him is hope not just hope for some but hope for everybody in the world so i want to look at a part of the bible with you today that really helps us see the incredible hope that comes through the person of jesus so go ahead and turn in your bibles if you have them uh, if you have your devices, go ahead and search for the book of John. We're going to be in the Gospel of John today, chapters 1 and 2. Now, in the other accounts of the birth of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, we have the traditional Christmas story it happens, uh, that happens in Bethlehem. It's the, the traditional story about Jesus' birth, the shepherds, the wise men, the manger. There's no room for the, them in the inn, and, right, so they have to go in the manger, And so it's in Matthew and Luke that we see all the traditional elements of the Christmas story. But what's unique about John is that John doesn't generally give us the traditional Christmas story. John doesn't give us any of those details. John doesn't talk about the angels. John doesn't talk about the shepherds. He doesn't talk about the wise men. He doesn't talk about anything like that because John doesn't go back to the beginning in Bethlehem. John goes all the way back to the beginning when In Genesis, okay? So let's take a look at what John says in his own Christmas story a little before chapter two, in John chapter one. Let's look at what it says In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He says in the beginning that the Word already existed. Now, when he says in the beginning, he's talking about the very beginning in Genesis, like we just said the beginning when God created everything, right? God created the world. He, he, he created all that existed. And it also says that the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now, John uses this uh, word in Greek um, called logos, which we translate into English as word. And logos was this idea, it was like a unifying principle that held the universe together. Now, what John is saying is that that Jesus, that God is the word. He is this unifying principle, but it's more than that, okay? And so we realize that, you know, what God did at creation is he spoke everything in existence, the trees, the birds, the, the sky, the waters, right? Um, but notice what John says. He, he says it's not just a word, like a principle or object. God's word was a he. It says that he was with God, in the beginning. It's actually a statement about Jesus. Jesus didn't just come on the scene in Bethlehem. Jesus has always been present with God. He was with God in the very, very, very beginning. He even says it it more clearly a little bit later on in chapter 1, in verse 14. The word became flesh, it says, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says the word became flesh or it became human. It says it made it his dwelling or it made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And so here is John's Christmas story. John says the whole thing about the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, the manger, that's all good. And all that stuff that was going on in Bethlehem is good. And we need to know that, but let's make no mistake about it. The infinite, has become the infant. The eternal God took on human flesh, and the one who has all authority and all power, he entered the world. The one who is infinite became an infant and brought with him a mission. The infant had a mission. He had a purpose. He was going to be about the transformation of the world, not only in his own day, but also about the transformation of the world in our day. You know the world is different than it was 2000 years ago because Jesus came. So what John says is God coming into the world changed everything. Now in John chapter 1 we see that John is seems to be getting us excited for what's about to come in Jesus' ministry, right? Um, He wants us to get prepared for the amazing things that God came into this world to do through Jesus. So you're ready to hear about all these amazing things that are about to follow. So we know a little bit about Jesus's life. We know that he was on a mission, that he had a great purpose, and his purpose was bringing about the transformation of the world. And uh, we know some of the things that he did, right? He healed uh, the sick. He made the blind to see. He made the lame walk. He brought, healing, he brought healing to all different people and raised the dead. He taught like nobody ever taught before. Jesus was on a mission. So you get this picture in the book of John that God has come into the world, and you're ready for all this action that's going to accompany him carrying out his mission. And you're ready to see it all play out. And, and and you're ready to hear about all these exciting things. But then you turn to chapter 2, and you find Jesus in the most unlikely place. You find Jesus in the most unlikely location. And so let's look at it. Let's look at where Jesus is. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So he's at a wedding at a village called Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were there. They had been invited. And so the very first thing that you see Jesus doing after all this buildup in the first chapter of John is attend a wedding. Now, Jesus wasn't there because he was the best man. He wasn't there because he was gonna be officiating the wedding. He wasn't there because he was doing a guest Uh, A celebrity appearance, right? For the married couple. Uh, Now, as we think about this, with Jesus having a job to do, a mission to accomplish, a purpose to fulfill, why in the world would we see him at a wedding? And where in the world is Cana? Well, we know that Cana is a town that was in Galilee. And today we generally know where the area is, the Galilee area is. But we don't know where Cana is. If you go to the Holy Land and you do like a tour where you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, you will not be visiting Cana because we don't know where it is. is. Um, it's such an insignificant place that it's not even on the map. And so Jesus is at a very ordinary event in a very insignificant place. And it's also, it's almost like when God does this in the Bible, it's like he shows up in these places and then he does the miraculous, right? He does something extraordinary. And, and, and so the question remains, why in the world would Jesus be at a place like this, a place like this called Cana? So the reason that he shows up here, it, is because he is invited. He's invited. Now, this is probably the most important thing that I'm going to share with you today, and it's this. Where God shows up in your life, he is invited in. When God shows up in your life, it's because he's invited in. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how God shows up in your life when you invite him in. So that's the first thing I want you to know today. Invite God in. That's the first step. That's the first step that if you're going to really experience hope this Christmas, the first step is to invite him in. So we invite God into our lives. And the way I think about it is like this. God is the one that if we keep him at a distance, if we keep him at arm's length, he's going to be a gentleman, right? He's not going to go against our wishes, and, you know, he, God is not like Uncle Eddie on the Christmas National Lampoon's Christmas vacation who shows up with his RV in your driveway and moves in for the Christmas season. God's not like that. He, he's not going to do that. But God will show up where he's invited. And wherever God shows up, these are the moments where God brings hope in areas that we need hope. And let me ask you today, friends, where in your life do you need to invite God in? Where do you need hope? Here's the cool thing about God and is that you don't have to be in church to invite him in. You can invite him in when you're at home. You can invite him in at school. You can invite him in at your workplace, wherever you are. And for some of us, we're in a season where we're in need of God. We're in need to invite God into a relationship. We might have a tension-filled relationship in our life, Right? It could be with a parent, it could be with a child, it could be with a sibling, it could be in our marriage, it might be uh, some other relationship. And what happens in these tension-filled relationships is that we tend to keep God at a distance, we, we tend to keep God uh, outside of, of ourselves and, and and at bay, and we kind of push him off to the side. So we we feel like in these circumstances, in these situations, that we're going to fix it on our own, and we're going to kind of overcome the challenges ourselves. But the truth is, what we need more than anything else is to invite God in, to invite him into the middle of the situation, into the middle of the mess, because God wants to do something miraculous out of the mess. God shows up at a wedding in Cana, and if he shows up in a wedding in Cana, he can show up in your relationship. Brothers of us, we're struggling um, in a difficult financial season, and this Christmas time makes the pressure even greater on us. And so we can feel discouraged, we can try to solve our own financial uh, problems, but what God wants us to do is to invite him in to our financial struggles. Uh, to not just try to figure it out on our own um, and get ourselves in an even greater mess, but we need to invite him into our situation. Listen, if God is going to show up at a wedding in Cana, he can show up in the middle of your financial difficulties. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a relationship. It could be a financial situation. It could be your health. It could be a professional situation. Maybe you haven't had work for a really long time. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, in whatever area of life life this Christmas season, invite God in. Now, you know, there's something about an invitation that gives value to the one being invited, right? And you know this to be true in your own lives. Because, because for example, if you think about a situation or event maybe um, that was happening that you didn't get invited to, You feel the sting of not being invited, right? Uh, To not having been valued enough to be invited to whatever that thing was. Now, when you extend an invitation to somebody, it is communicating a certain thing to them. It's communicating value. It's communicating this idea of, I care about you. It means I want you to be a part of whatever it is that's going on. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but... um, have you ever experienced a moment where somebody invited you to something and you show up and it's beyond uh, what your wildest expectations would have been like? I, I have a, a memory of this. I, had a, I have an example of this from my own life in high school. I had been invited to fly to San Diego with my best friend and his parents. Uh, now, his parents owned uh, some car dealerships in the area, and so we 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 took a limo to the airport, we flew first class to San Diego, we stayed at a beautiful resort called La Costa Resort, we had some great massages, we ate some of the, the best food you can imagine, and we saw some of the most beautiful towns along the coast and got to spend time at those, those beaches. And I keep saying to myself today, why, do I, why have I not stayed in touch with this friend, <laughs> And and so, you know, when you think about those types of invitations, an unbelievable experience, and the fact that the invitation was extended to me, or if you have a similar uh, invitation and experience, that the fact that the invitation was extended to you, you realize how you feel in that moment. You realize how important you feel, how valued, and how much you matter to this particular friend or, or family. So, this is a season that we invite God in, but it's not Only a season for inviting God in. It's also a great opportunity to invite others along as well. Uh, Next month, we have the uh, in a couple weeks. We have the opportunity to be part of Christmas at Redemption. It's happening on December eighteenth, and I love Christmas at Redemption. And uh, we uh, got a little flavor of that last year. We were coming out of the pandemic, and uh, I just love all about what it entails—the whole experience—and. And so uh, one of the things that we uh, want you to know uh, is that Christmas at Redemption is for anybody. It's for anybody and everybody. So you know who's invited to Christmas at Redemption? Everyone. Everyone is invited. And I'm talking about all people, okay? I'm talking about rich or poor people, okay? I'm talking uh, about old people, young people, small people, large people, white people, black people, yellow people, brown people. All people are invited to Christmas at Redemption. (laughs) Giants fans, Jets fans are invited. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna, uh, yeah, yeah, you just stole it from me. Uh, I was gonna say, maybe not Patriots fan, but yeah, okay, Patriots fans. Everybody's invited. We're inviting people that are maybe a little bit hard to get along with and people that are very easy to get along with. We're inviting all people. So the invitation is to everyone. And do you know what that's saying? That is saying that here at Redemption, everyone is valuable. Everyone matters to God, and so we want to know that. Want you to know that everybody is invited, and we love all people. And so here's what I want you to do: I want you to recognize your invitation this season is an invitation to tell somebody in your life, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, a family member, to tell them that I love you, that I care about you. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to uh, give an, an invitation to this amazing thing called. Christmas at Redemption, and we will provide a great experience for the guests that you bring, your friends, your family members, your co-workers, but what will ultimately be very important to those that you invite is the invitation, because the invitation communicates to whoever it is that you love them, that you care about them, and that they matter. So next week, you're going to get some uh, invitations to Christmas at Redemption. I want you to grab those invitations, and I want you to uh, Hand them out to the people that you know. Take a picture of the invitation, post it on Facebook, maybe your Instagram account. Uh, For those of you that have had your Twitter accounts unblocked, tweet it out. Okay, you have the opportunity to tweet that out now. Leave some at Starbucks or wherever you are. So let's tell the whole world that they are invited to Christmas at Redemption. So this season, let's remember that it's a season of hope. And when it comes to experiencing the hope that we find in Jesus, we invite God in, we also invite others to join us, and as we do, when it comes to experiencing hope, we've got to learn to sync up our expectations with who the God of hope is. This idea of syncing up our expectations with who the God of hope is reminds me of some silly family photos that we pretty much tend to all see this time of year. And so I found one on Twitter, and I want to show it to you right here. You have this couple who is really excited about something. Uh, You have this other couple who is engaged. They're looking forward to getting married. And then you have uh, another family that is expecting a child. And then you have Emily. (laughs) All of these people are looking forward to something, right? Excited. They've got hope on the horizon. There's something positive that's coming down the road. And then you have Emily, and she's got nothing. How many of us feel like Emily sometimes, right? And and basically say to ourselves, I've got nothing. But but here's the cool thing. Hope is not about who you are. Hope is all about who you know. And so we're going to see that in the next part, of the story. And so we pick it up in John chapter two, verse three. Jesus is at, still at the wedding in Cana. And then all of a sudden, there's this problem. And, and here we see what the problem is in uh, chapter two, verse three. When the wine was gone, the wine, the wine ran out. That, that's the big problem. Uh, you can't continue the party without the wine. Uh, in, in that day, You know, weddings would be celebrated over two or three days, not just like into the wee hours of the morning, right? Weddings would be celebrated for a pretty long time. And so the uh, bride's family would make sure that they had all the preparations that they needed to celebrate for that amount of time. And so you'd have enough food, you'd have enough wine. And so here we are in this situation where... Uh, the bride's family has run out of wine. And in this culture, if you run out of food, if you run out of wine, it brings a lot of shame and embarrassment on your family. And so they did not want to run out of wine in the middle of the celebration. And, and, and so, the, so this is the problem they're to deal, dealing with. And, and next we see that Jesus's mother gets involved. She gets involved in trying to solve the problem. And she says to him in the second part of verse three, they have no more wine. So, so Jesus' uh, mom tells him the that, that they have no more wine. And it's interesting what, how Mary approaches this. She doesn't ask a question, she makes a statement. Uh, she says to Jesus, you're she says to Jesus, in other words, you gotta do something. You got a problem here. Uh, now, have you ever been there? Have you ever had a problem in your life, a struggle in your life, and you're not even asking God a question, right? Like Mary, you're just telling God what's going on. You say, look, Jesus, this relationship is a mess. Hey, Jesus, my finances are a disaster. Jesus, I haven't had work for a really long time now. There's a question that's implied, but man, when you're feeling the weight of the urgency, the weight of what's going on, sometimes you just kind of say it in a statement, don't you? And sometimes we feel like God's response is similar to the response that he gives Mary. Look at what Jesus says in verse four. He says, woman, why do you involve me? What? Jesus said this to his mom? How could he say that? Now, just so you know, if you're a young person in the room and, you know, I would recommend that you always say what Jesus said. You would always do what Jesus did, except in this instance. (laughs) So if your your mom says to you, hey, your room's messy. I want you to clean it later later today. You don't say to her, woman, (laughs) why why do you involve me? That would not go well. All right? So, I would recommend following all the other examples of Jesus, except this one is probably the only exception. So now going back to what Jesus said, there's a little bit of context that we need to talk about here because Jesus is not disrespecting his mother. Woman was actually a very respectful term in that day to, to say. And he's basically saying to her then, Mary, why are you putting this on my plate? But notice that Mary still has the expectation that Jesus is going to do something, right? And even though it seems like Jesus is saying no, Mary is still hope-filled and expectant on what Jesus is about to do. But notice what she does next in the next verse, in verse 5. It says, His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, I never saw this until preparing this message, but sometimes when we expect God to solve our problems, we expect him just to to come in, to swoop in, and just to fix stuff. Uh, We have this problem. Maybe it's a relationship problem or a financial problem or a problem at work. And we have this problem, and we want God to swoop in. We just want him to fix everything. And what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't solve it without their participation. Listen, God is not opposed to our effort. Sometimes we hope that God will just swoop in and solve all of our problems and make everything good again. Um, but God doesn't solve our problems sometimes until we participate in the process, until we take action, until we take initiative to solve it, until we participate in the solution. So, you know, listen, faith can move mountains, but we need to pick up the shovel and start digging. You want God to transform your marriage? I believe that God wants wants to transform your marriage. But when you take steps that are in sync with God, you get some help, you seek out counsel. And in doing that, when you begin to participate, God starts to transform your marriage. When you find yourself in a difficult financial struggle, and then you start to seek out God's wisdom, you go to his word, you talk to other people, believers that are good financial, good with their finances, who can give you some good counsel. You maybe start a, uh, involve yourself in a group, maybe Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace or something like that, or join a small group where, a life group where others can help you in your situation. God shows up and starts to transform your finances. God jumps in. God is not opposed to our efforts when we begin to participate in the process of solving the problems. So he partners, God partners with you, and this begins a transformational process, doing something in your life that you could never do on your own. Why? Because hope is found in him. It's not about who you are, it's about who you know. Jesus doesn't solve it until we start participating in the process. And when we do, God will show up and he will bring about Uh, transformation. So what do we do? We invite God in, we participate in the process, and then ultimately we give whatever we have, the little that we have, and offer it to God. We offer it to God. You know, I love how the story of John chapter 2 continues. It says in verse 6, "...nearby stood six stone water jars." the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, what I love about Jesus is that he takes the ordinary and he does something extraordinary. He takes the everyday ordinary jars that are, new, that are used for normal daily purposes, and he takes that common stuff and creates something uncommon. You know, in our lives... And in, and in the world, God tends to take the mundane and perform the miraculous. God often takes something that's ordinary and makes something extraordinary. So, we, so he just takes these jars, these simple jars that were used for everyday washing, for ceremonial washing, and, and then look at what Jesus says. He says in verse 7 through 10, Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Here's what Jesus does. He takes the normal, everyday, mundane things and he does something extraordinary with them. And when he transforms this into wine, when he transforms it into the best wine, like this is top shelf wine. This is the type of wine that in the wine store they have on a separate rack right away from the common wines that most people buy at the store. And what happens is that the host of the wedding, when he takes a taste of this, he realizes that this is like some of the best wine he has ever tasted. But what's interesting is he tastes the product and he enjoys the taste of it, even though he hasn't seen the process that has created it. The host tasted the miracle without knowing the process that it took to make it. And here's why, it's that, why that's so important. Sometimes when you're feeling down, when you're really struggling, you can look at other people's lives and see how good they look, and, and you're seeing only the product. What you're not seeing is the process. Look, our God is an amazing God who can bring good out of difficulty. God has a way of bringing faith out of fear. He has this amazing way of bringing joy out of our pain. He has this amazing way of making something extraordinary out of something that's ordinary. So don't get distracted with the product of other people's lives when you don't see the process. The truth is, God wants to bring you through a great process. He wants to do a great work in your life when you give it to him, when you give him the water, whatever the water is, whatever the ordinary, mundane, whatever it is, when you tell God, this is all I got, and you trust him to do something exceptional, something miraculous, to do something supernatural with it, he will do it. God wants your life to be filled with hope. He's a good God and wants to do good in your life. Do you believe that today? Yes. Now, what I also love about this uh, detail in John is how much wine Jesus created. There were six jars, and there were 20 to 30 gallons of wine in each one. That means that there was 120 to 180 gallons of wine. And to put that in perspective, uh, in modern-day terms, that's about seven to 900 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. And he didn't create some wine so that everybody could just have a little tasting. He didn't uh, create some wine so that everybody could have a half glass. He created an abundance of wine, an overly generous gift to to this family, to these people. And listen, in our lives, this is the same God that can work to be exceedingly abundant and the same God who can be overly generous with his gifts in our life. This is what God does. He takes the ordinary, he takes the mundane, and he does something beyond our wildest expectations. Now today, you should have received a Christmas offering brochure on your way in. And in your brochure, you'll find out more about the projects that the offering that we're doing this Christmas is going to be supporting. So we're inviting you to prayerfully consider giving to this so we might be able to bless thousands of families in our local area that might need food or might need housing, to bless thousands of Ukrainian refugee families in Eastern Europe who might need food and clothing and housing, to help hundreds of children escape being trafficked around this world. And so what it's going to take, what it's going to take is for us to just give the little that we have this Christmas season, for God to do something exceptional with it. It's kind of like handing God just a little that we have and allowing Him to multiply it in a transformative way, in a way that we can never do alone. So I want to encourage you to consider how you might give a transformational gift of hope this Christmas. Uh, to those in need who are around us here in Westchester and who are around the world. Now, here's what I love about this miracle story in John. Did you notice what it says at the end of the story in chapter 2? The host of the party says that the bride and groom have saved the best till now. They saved the best for last. The host was surprised by this because typically you bring out the good wine first and then when everybody's had too much to drink, you bring out the cheap stuff because people don't know the difference. And I believe that for all of us at this Christmas time, for all of us as we head into the new year, in spite of all the challenges that we've been facing over this past year and maybe still face, in spite of all the difficulties in our lives, I believe that if we invite God in, we participate in the process and we offer up the little that we have, that God is going to give us his hope and he is going to bring the best for us in life. Today, I'd like to encourage you to think of just one area in your life where you need to invite God in, uh, where you need to experience God's hope. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. You know, maybe it's a financial difficulty. One area where you can invite God in. And I believe that for many of us, our best days are between, uh, for 2022, are between now and the end of the year. Because that's what happens when we invite God in We participate in the process and we give him the little that we have. Listen, God has great things in store for you and it's just ahead. So invite him into your life. Allow him to transform your journey with his hope and allow this Christmas to be a Christmas filled with hope. Let's pray. God, we come before you today amazed at how you take the ordinary and do something extraordinary. And we are believing that today. God, as we hear about the hope that you can bring in our lives, we are hearing it, we're understanding it in our heads, but I pray that today it would get into our hearts, that we would really believe that when we invite you in, we can experience your hope. And so God, today, I pray that all of us would think about and believe in whatever area it is that as we invite you in, you can do something extraordinary through the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.